The Suffering Podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other major podcast platform. Please subscribe and like to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can also find our latest episodes at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Feel free to comment. We may read your comments on future podcasts and even reach out to you for a future guest spot. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Suffering Podcast. Here you'll see links to episodes, updates, and inside information on how to achieve greatness through the joy of suffering. Sit your ass Sit your down. Ass down. Sit your ass Sit down. down. Let's talk about, talk the, about suffering. the suffering. It's time it's to start the pain. the pain. Sit your ass Sit down. Your ass down. Sit your ass Sit down, down and strap in. Strap in. This is gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each episode, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. So sit down and strap in. This is going to hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. The Suffering Podcast welcomes performance muffins to our growing family. These protein-packed snacks are the perfect healthy treat to satisfy your cravings and are deliciously addictive. Co-founded by a brother and sister team that grew up in a household where good food and creativity was paramount to their family values. Performance Muffins remain and will always be a family-owned and operated business with multiple flavor varieties of both muffins and cookies. Performance Muffins enables you to have your cake and eat it too while still focusing on the food that you put in your body. I've been eating performance muffins and performance cookies for years. When I was forced to go gluten-free, I thought the days of treats were gone. But not with performance muffins and performance cookies. They kept the taste and got rid of the gluten. My favorite is a toss-up between the Chisel Me Chocolate Muffin or the Amazing Apple Crumb Muffin. Both have 20-plus grams of protein, plus fiber, amino acids, and omega-3s. Performance muffins and performance cookies will blow your taste buds away while contributing to your overall nutritional health. Performance muffins and performance cookies can be found in major supermarkets and fitness centers. Get yours today by visiting performancemuffins.com or check our show notes for the link. For the Suffering Podcast listeners at checkout, enter the code SUFFERINGPOD10 for an amazing 10% discount. Performance muffins, irresistibly healthy and packed with strength. Caffeina is now part of the Suffering Podcast family. We all need a boost of energy from time to time. Rather than reach for that fifth cup of coffee or grabbing a sugary, chemical-laden energy drink, choose the better alternative. That better alternative is Caffeina. Caffeina is a delicious caffeine and electrolyte-infused spring water that is micro-filtered for purity. It's a delicious and refreshing natural energy drink that delivers the most vital of elements to us, and that's water. There is no aftertaste, no chemicals, and no sugar. Caffeina is a perfect source for pre- and post-workout, morning or afternoon pick-me-up, or just something refreshing to quench your thirst. Caffeina is listed as Amazon's Choice on Amazon.com, and that comes with free shipping. Just search Caffeina, C-A-F-E-I-N-A, or check out our show notes for the link. Put a little pep in your step while still feeling good about the products you put in your body. Stay hydrated, stay awake, stay healthy with Caffeina. You have to check out this book, Shots Fired, The Misunderstandings, Misconceptions, and Myths About Police Shootings by Joseph Laughlin. Today's media is filled with discussions about officer-involved shootings. Too often missing from that discussion are the police officers' voices and the reality of what happens in actual shooting incidents. Through interviews with involved officers, this book addresses common myths and misunderstandings about these shootings. This eye-opening account is a must-read for police and non-police alike. This topic hits very close to home, and thankfully we have authors who are willing to lift the veil 
behind what Hollywood and the media see as either reprehensible acts or sensationalization of the world of law enforcement. Chief Laughlin is a retired assistant deputy chief who has held every rank in his Portland, Maine department. I've spoken with Chief Laughlin, and his goal is to awaken his audience to the reality of police-involved shootings. To get your copy today, go to shotsfiredbook.com or check the show notes for the link. Why don't you let the world know that you're a sufferer and a damn proud one? Check out the Suffering Podcast gear brought to you by Squad Locker, where you'll be able to show your support for the show and look damn fine doing it. Follow our link in the show notes found at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. And as always, we are eternally grateful for your support. So what do you do when all the eyes are on you? When your whole life is looked upon by people who mostly don't know you or you don't know them. And they extract and they gather and they process motivation from your accomplishments. The pressure has got to be overwhelming. Should your actions be governed by the Court of Public Appeals? That microscope is fitted with a piece of beveled glass at the end. Beveled glass can highlight the best of you, but it also can show every little flaw in great detail. Concentrate that glass and focus its power, and that beveled glass can burn you. Eyes focused on your life can define greatness, disaster, and suffering. I'm Kevin Donaldson. I'm here with Mike Felace, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we give a window into the life in the public eye and talk with the suffering of a professional athlete with former NFL running back and two-time Super Bowl champion Lee Rusan. Lee, you, you've accomplished so much, but I feel that you're just getting started. Thanks for sitting down with us today. I really do appreciate it. It's an honor and a privilege, and I'm not just using those words as many people say, but truly to be alongside you brothers, man, and, and to serve as a common voice here. I'm just wanting everybody, you guys are going to hear one voice today. It's a privilege to be a part of this voice and hopefully the ear of people's heart is going to hear something so that they can have true vision for their life. Unfortunately, I'm sorry you had to get through security in order to get down here today. <laughs> the security came in the form of my 11-year-old son. I told Lee, you're not getting through the front door unless you wear your Super Bowl rings because my son won't allow it. But anyway, before we get into it, I do want to get into this week's social media question. And this social media question comes from Mike. Uh, you guys throw out a lot of quotes throughout the year on the show. What's your favorite quote? And by the way, this is not coming from Mike Felace. This is coming from a different Mike, a more important Mike. There's one quote that I say throughout my life, and it's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I've come recently to use one other one, and that's diamonds are forged under pressure. Lee, do you have a favorite quote that you have used throughout your life? Oh, man, I I have so many quotes, man. Lately, I, my quote has been, get the L out. Get the L out. Yeah. Because, again, so much of the world can be in our lives. We get so defined by the world. So I go, get the L out. So that what you have left is a real positive word. Get the, I like that. Yeah, I like that. That's, I kind of like that. Mike, what, what do you got? Generally, my, my favorite one is a good leader knows the way, shows the way, and goes the way. You know, I, I don't like these people who tell you to do something without doing it themselves. So I think it's, it's to me, it, it's part of being a good leader. And that's how I was in law enforcement. I, I never told anybody, just go do it. I said, let's go do it. Mm. I, I take that philosophy into coaching a lot. Yeah. If I tell my kids to run, I'm going to run, run with, with them. them. Absolutely. If I tell my linemen to get down and do some push-ups, I'm doing the push-ups with them. Because if I could do it, that means you could do it. I totally agree about that. When I go into schools or any place to speak, when I ask anybody or everybody who's in the audience, who are you? I share the decision that I've made. I just don't come and just ask them the question and try to put that on them. I share the choice that I've made in my life. And hopefully that serves to say, listen, I'm just not saying this is who I am, but I'm also being who I am. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your question. Keep sending those questions in and we'll try to get them on the air. So Lee, let's tell our Suffering Podcast audience a little bit about you. Well, what do you want to know? I want to know everything about you. <laughs> start, as we said the other day, start with diapers, leave shoe, out concession. Shoe size. Uh. You're right, blood type. So growing up, you grew up in North Carolina, correct? Yes. Well, actually, I was growing up in New Jersey. Growing up in New Jersey. I was born in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. My parents immediately moved to East Orange, and they were maids cleaning this very successful real estate guy's house. And he had a party one day and what he loved to do was to have fun with his guests. So he gave all of his guests a dictionary 
and said, my servant, Cecil, that's my dad, if you ask him any word in a dictionary, he'll know the meaning. At this one party, uh, this one of his real estate friends said, listen, um, let, let this guy come and work for me. I'm going to teach him how to do real estate. I'm, I can teach this black man how to be successful because he, he has what it takes. And um, so my parents agreed with this and moved to Washington Heights. And this man began to mentor my dad. But then my father meets Malcolm X after he was kicked out of the Nation of Islam and formed his own organization called the Afro-American Unity Organization. And he became one of his members and his bodyguard. But after Malcolm was assassinated, we were forced to leave New York by the FBI that very same night. So we went to Greensboro, North Carolina. That's where I grew up. I'm sitting here with somebody who has actually witnessed a major event in U.S. history. And that's the assassination of Malcolm X. And that was in February of 1965. Yes. So your father was one of his bodyguards. Yes, he was. How did he come back, come about getting that job? My father, again, was a brilliant guy. He was a great leader in his own right. I guess someone would say it was fate that they met. Maybe I think my father went to a meeting or something when Malcolm had was separated from the Nation of Islam. I think my father was very interested in this new organization. Again, it was called the Afro-American Unity Organization, where, where Malcolm, he invited African-Americans from all parts of life, no matter what religion or anything like that, come and join this effort for unity. Because I believe at this point, you know, Malcolm X was seeking the truth when it, when it was com coming to the different issues that he was facing or, or the whole country was facing. My dad joined became one of his bodyguards and confidants. I read a little bit about your father, and one of the things that impressed me the most about what your father said, when I read Alex Haley's book, Malcolm X, it focuses, the, the whole crux of the book comes at the end where Malcolm sees people of all different colors and all different backgrounds and all different nations come together. Your father gave an interview, I think it was in, I want to say late 90s, and he's talking about that very subject that I just said there. And that's, I long believe that that's the real meaning of Malcolm X's life. It's not, you know, by any means necessary in what he did with the nation of Islam. It's about his full circle come around and see that, you know, it's not so much about race. It's about bringing everybody together. And your father sort of said something very similar in this interview. And it was impressive. After you left New York, where did you go from there? Went to Greensboro, North Carolina. And that's where I grew up. My parents moved into these projects called Morningside Projects. And my father was fortunate to get a job working for the railroad. So for the next two years, he saved up, he saved up enough money for us to move into a little house. And we moved into an all-white neighborhood. And that was this is like 1968. That, uh, I'm yeah. just going to say, what were the, the race relations like back then down there? I mean, yeah. that's down in the south. That's a little different. I, yeah. don't, I don't like to go down there when I have a tan. <laughs> they still call you a Yankee, huh? <laughs> but, um, I mean, it was, again, I'm, I'm a little kid, so I really believe that I had the, the heart of the investment of God's love deposited in my heart. And I can tell a lot of stories. We don't have time today, but I can tell a lot of stories of when I grew up to prove that. I wasn't a lot of people who may have like racial type of um, incidents and situations and they got really, really traumatized by it. I was never traumatized. It was like I was ready. Just like there was a couple of cowboys or 49ers or lions, tigers and bears on the other side of a lot of scrimmage trying to take me out. But I didn't care because I'm trying to score. I, my team and I, we had our focus on the, on the goal, and it didn't bother me. I'm just, I'm just doing my job, and I'm, I'm being who I am. Once Randy Johnson and Ed Tuttle Jones got out of the league, you really don't have to worry about the Cowboys. So you've listened to a couple episodes of the Suffering Podcast, and I really, we've spoken a lot, and I value your opinion, and I want to know your critique of our concept. I love it. If I can give a, a very personal explanation. Sure, absolutely. The suffering that has taken place in my life has helped me to transform, to mature, to change, and to grow. Because the times that I that I was going through certain kind of suffering and, and I didn't hadn't gotten there yet, you know, I, I began to um, develop addictive type qualities. I started getting addicted to certain type of things. And now I can look back now and and, and say this that immaturity is the root of addictions. 
because there were certain points in my life I wasn't growing. I wasn't changing. There, there was no transformation in my thinking. But when I began to really suffer, when some of the hard things really, really came in my life and I knew I couldn't do anything about it, that's when I began to transform. Let's talk about this event that you're talking about that, that had you suffer. Because I want to find out what transformed you into maybe behavior that you didn't want into who you are today. I get a phone call in 1989 from Gene Upshaw. I don't know if you guys remember that name. Sure. Oakland Raiders. Yes, right. And NFL PA, right? That's right. Exactly. President. So he says, Lee, um, we get ready to take the NFL to court for free agency. I was a part of that whole episode. Every four years, there was, as I'm going to share with you, my situation was perfect for the intention and the strategy that the, the players, players Association were going to use to fight for free agency. So Gene Upshaw says, listen, Lee, you got the strongest case, but, but nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows your name. We don't, we're not going to, we're not going to call it the Lee Roussan case. We're going to call it a Freeman McNeil case. Now, Freeman played for the Jets. The Jets yeah. They were trying to get the court case in New Jersey because the, of the, of the judge that was there. So Freeman played in New Jersey with the Jets. He was going to be the representative, but even though he wasn't going to win, Gene said, Freeman doesn't have a chance. He's already making a million dollars a year. The, the issue that we're going to fight for, he's not going to have a chance. But Lee, you can win. Are you in? And I said, yes, I am. And and I was a little emotional. I said, you know, they've already stole my dreams already. So, hmm. um, you know, I'm I'm in. Let's go. So is this strictly a financial decision for you, or is there other caveats in there that made it this worse? Was, this was, this had nothing to do with finance. At first, this had nothing to do with finances. That was how that was the strategy that we're going strategy that we're going to fight in court. But I was doing it as a freedom fighter. And what kind of freedoms were you looking for? Well, here I am. For the last two years, because the NFL put in a new system called Plan B, they protected 30 ball players, and the rest of the ball players were free agents. They were free to go and sign contracts with other teams. I was always protected. I was one of those 30 ball players who was protected. But when my contract would come up, we're not going to give you anything. You haven't done anything. Oh, I see. So you, it, you didn't have the freedom to go right free agency and then go go to another team. I didn't have like the you were just. I didn't have the freedom, period. Yeah. I didn't have the freedom to negotiate my contract. I didn't have the freedom to go someplace else. There was no freedom at all. And I was like, I'm in. But I began to suffer. I was pretty much blackballed. The next year, 1990, but that year, the, the Giants drafted two other running backs. 1990 drafted a running back in the first round. Um, Rodney Hampton? Yes. Training camp starts. I decided to hold out. One of my other counterparts, Maurice Carthon, who was a fullback, he's holding out. Okay, Rodney Hampton, I think he got hurt. He has some kind of injury. Joe Morris was already, they cut. They had cut Joe Morris. I decided, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to go into training camp. Right now, I, I want to go someplace else. I got to do something. Two weeks goes by, and Bill Parcells calls me on the phone. He says, listen, Lee, I need you to come into training camp. I said, Bill, play me or trade me. Bill said, listen, if you come in and it works out for you, good. If it doesn't, I'll release you next year. I won't. I won't protect you. So Parcells had that kind of power, or did he have some sort of administrative contract where he's able to do that stuff? You know, I think Bill had the power. I really don't know. Coach Bill, in terms of those type of issues, he knew what he was doing. And so I went in the camp, and that whole year I had zero carries as a running back. <laughs> they didn't even give you the ball? Not one time. Wow. I, I wasn't invited to certain types of you know, the Giants type of outings and things that were going on. I just felt like I was invisible. I didn't feel like a part of the team, you know, in, in a lot of ways. It was the suffering that I went through at the University of Colorado prior to that, by almost losing every football game and not fulfilling the dreams that I had, you know, hoping hoping to win the Heisman Trophy, to go to the Orange Bowl, become national champions, have a fun college career, get my degree in business. Yes, that was some suffering that I went to prior, but this suffering right here was a different type of suffering. Had to lead to like a lot of depression, didn't it? It did. I'm telling you right yeah. now. I was, and but I didn't know it because that just wasn't the kind of person I was. Or even hopelessness. Like, what am I doing here? You know, was was there a chance? I mean, not to get off the subject. Was there a chance, a, a time at that point where you just wanted to hang it up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like, you Well, know. so we beat San Francisco in the championship game. And they and the NFL decides not to play the Super Bowl two weeks 
from the championship game, but the very next Sunday. So we leave San Francisco and fly straight to Tampa. We don't even go home. First day Monday, because Super Bowl was Sunday, we have our team meeting. I'm in the running back meeting, and we go over the game plan with the running back coach, and I realize I'm not going to carry the, carry the ball in, in the Super Bowl. I already had tickets for my, my parents. We're going to be there, my wife and my children, some of my friends. I realized in that moment in the meeting that I wasn't going to participate, and I lost it. And I stormed out of the meeting, man. And right before the Super Bowl. It's the first day. Yeah, it's first Monday. Day. It's <laughs> Monday, yeah. And I was like, I'm done. I'm, gonna, I'm going to the hotel. I'm going to get my wife and my kids. I'm, I don't care. We're going to go buy tickets right now and fly back to New Jersey. I'm done. I'm getting ready to go into my car. And then I hear a voice. Hey, Ruru. And it was Everson Walls. Now, he had just came from the Cowboys. The Cowboys, yeah. But I met Everson my rookie year in 1985. I met him in Las Vegas because my agents, they represented Hearns and, and, and Camacho and all those guys. Right. And they were from New Jersey. There was, there was some guys from New Jersey called Devamo Sports Management. I know where. I, I, I've heard of them before, yes. And so I, I go, I'm at the fight, and I'm just hanging out at, at the pool at Caesars, you know, and I see this guy. I didn't know Everson, but I was like, I've seen him before. He says, hey, what's up, man? He speaks. He spoke to me. I was. I'm nobody. I'm just. I just get drafted into the NFL. I'm nobody. I know. I'm a. You know. I'm an eighth round pick. But he just opened his arms to me, man. And and that's how Everson treats everybody. He's just one of those kind of dudes, man. Everson goes, "What's up, Rue?" And I lose it. All the <laughs> anger and the frustration, the bitterness and the pain and the depression, the suffering that all how I reacted to the suffering. Right. I hope everybody heard that. How I reacted to the suffering came out of me. And Everson, he and, he and he gets in my face. He doesn't say, yo, yo, Rue, let's go get a drink. Because normally, you know, if you're going through something, the solution, let's go get a drink. Alcohol. Yeah, alcohol. Yeah, or whatever. Let's go relax, you know, do something like that. But he, he's in my face almost like he's trying to kiss me or something, right? He's like right here. And he and he starts spitting in my face. He says, he says it ain't about you. You're not going to stop me. I've never been here. You're not going to stop this. Your time is going to come. Do you understand me? Your responsibility is to do your job. And after he went off on me, all of the bitterness and the pain and the depression and everything that was heavy in my heart, it was gone. One person has the power to do that. I'm trying to tell you guys, it was gone. I've only experienced that one other time in my life, but not to the degree or to the intensity that it happened that day. Immediately, I get in my car. And I go to the hotel to hug my wife. Now, you got to understand something, guys. I couldn't talk. This experience was so, I don't even know what word to describe it. Emotional. And, I couldn't talk. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't say anything. I just hugged my wife and I kissed my little kids. They were all little and having fun and everything. Just wanted to let them know I love them. And I left. And then my phone rings and it's the chaplain for the Giants, Dave Bratton. He says, Lee, for the first time in the history of the NFL, the Christian man's breakfast, they're not going to only have the coach speak, the winner, who, who was um, Joe Gibbs. He, he was the award winner that year. And then the player of the year was um, Mike Singletary. He, he gave a talk. He said, but they want to have a ball player from each team. So Frank Reich is going to represent Buffalo, and we want you to represent the Giants. Now, here I am, a double-minded Christian, double-minded hypocrite. That's, that's exactly where I was in my life at that point. Explain that one a little bit. Why would you call yourself a double-minded Christian? Because I didn't have the mind of Christ. I had my own mind. I didn't have God's vision for my life. I had my own vision. Well, do you think that happens a lot where you'll hear this in sports constantly? Hey, I thank God. I thank God. I thank God. But then you see them in the papers doing something yeah. that's less than Christian-like. Do you find, is that what you went through and do you see this as common today? Oh, yes. It's very common. And again, that's a whole other conversation, guys, but, <laughs> but it's very common because a lot of people are taught to preach the gospel in salvation, you know, that people get saved. But it's not taught to know Jesus, to have an intimate relationship with him, to where when you hear his voice and you hear what he says, it's just like I'm hearing Phil Sims say, flow 36. On two, flow thirty six. I mean, when I heard when I heard Phil Sims' voice say those words to me, I went nuts. That's my play. Let's get it on, baby. Let's go. You see, game and, on. Game on. 
And see, we don't treat Jesus like that. We treat other people and we have our own ideas and our own visions about life. And so, yes, I was a double-minded hypocrite. It was amazing how God still used me and his mercy that he kept coming at me saying, listen, Lee, when are you going to stop being double-minded? When are you going to let it go and start being yourself? I'm allowing you to suffer and go through these things right here so that you can depend on me, so you can have a relationship with me, an intimate relationship with me. That's what I began to learn later on. But it started like with this particular experience in my life that I was able to look back at and see what was going on. One of the things that I've always realized that it's suffering over time. That's the stuff that makes you great. That's the stuff that makes you successful. It's not what clubs you join. It's not how much money you have. It's not what car you drive. It's taking that suffering, repurposing it, and putting it back out into the world to show the world how that's made you stronger. At what point in your young life did you realize that you were going to move further in football? It was a day that I suffered. (laughs) (laughs) As a child. As a child. But but I'm serious, though, because one day I remember my father and I worked out. I worked out with my father relentlessly. We would run five miles every morning together and work out, running on the track, running sprints, working in the weight room. My dad worked with me, man, like crazy. But I remember one day we were at the high school working out, and I think Southern Cal had just played somebody, and, and it was a great game. And I was talking to my dad. I said, man, Marcus Allen, he's a really great running back. And and my father cursed me out. You can be great, better than him. You know, he just went off on me. I didn't see anything wrong. You know, why did he just cur- curse me out like that? Why did he just go off on me like that? That day, it changed my outlook, you know, as far as how I was looking at things. I think that was the first. My father was like, he waited to that moment. He was like, he was he was waiting on that moment for years for me to be able to handle it. I didn't expect that he was going to go off on me like that. Just like any one of us in life, man, things happen. We don't know something's going to happen in our lives. You know, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to respond when something just happens in front of us? That's that's funny because I had heard a story about you where you were sitting on a bus with Jerry Rice. Something similar came out of, I guess, for the same reason your father got mad at you. Something very similar to what your father was talking about comes out of Jerry Rice's mouth. Tell me about that. And that was during a crisis. I think that anytime any one of us suffers, right, it's because some, of some type of crisis in our lives. And I love the way you put it. I'm not, I'm not going to use your exact words. But again, we shouldn't run away from it. No, you need to embrace it. We need to embrace it. And I love that. Yes. And, and I've, that's one thing I've learned in my life. You know, I'm, I'm forever doing that now. But at this point, I was going through a crisis, an identity crisis. It, I was in Montgomery, Alabama. We were getting ready to play in the Blue-Gray All-Star Football Classic. Again, I went to the University of Colorado. We didn't hardly win any football games. None of my dreams came true at the University of Colorado. The only thing that's positive, I didn't give up. So here I am. I get a phone call two weeks before Christmas. The athletic director for the University of Missouri says, Lee, my name is Don Farrell. I'm the head of the coaches committee for the Blue Ray All-Star Football Classic. You weren't chosen by the coaches to be in this game because the ball players who participate in the Blue Gray are the best in college. You know, they got the best stats. They had the best careers. You, you didn't have one 1,000-yard season as a running back. You, you guys didn't hardly win any football games. What, you win eight games in, in five years that you were there? When people say Lee Russon, they go, Lee who? But I picked you because of your character. I got an airplane ticket waiting for you at the Denver airport. I, I, want, I want you to pick up that ticket. I want you to fly to Montgomery, Alabama. I want you to get ready during the week. And when that game comes on Christmas Day, you step on that field and show your stuff. There are going to be NFL scouts from every NFL team looking for hearts that got the right stuff in it. I was so fired up. I thought I was in a Rocky movie or something. It's going to run down to Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> telling, I, don't need a, I don't need a plane. I'm telling you, I was fired up, man. I was like, see? See, I didn't do anything wrong because, again, Colorado was on probation for three years. For uh, NCAA violations? That happened 13 years prior, prior to, to 1980 before I even got there. Right. I'm facing the consequence along with my teammates and coaches and everybody of a choice that somebody else made. That's a part of all of our sufferings in the world. 
we all suffer because of that, man, of the consequences of choices that other people have made and it's been handed down to us. So here I am right now suffering, being at Colorado. We couldn't receive monies. We couldn't. Re- I mean, it was it was horrible. When you know that other college students are doing that, it's just they haven't gotten caught it, yet. It, well, exactly. Especially at that time. You, you suffer because of what other people yeah. do. Kevin and I were both in law enforcement. I feel that we're suffering because of things that are going on across the country. Yeah. Things that someone else did. Yeah. It wasn't me. Now you're taking it on law enforcement. You know, same thing with race. You get these white supremacists and now everybody hates white people. I'm not a white supremacist. Just because this guy's acting like that doesn't mean I'm like that. That's why I treat people. I tell people all the time. I treat people the way they treat me. The only person in this world I treat different is Mike because he deserves it. <laughs> well, that's locker room love right there. I'm but, thinking about making a song called Locker Room Love. We, we, we should actually put lockers in here, you know, yeah, I just make so. it like a locker room talk. But I think it's it's getting but, away from that meritocracy. And if you have a true meritocracy in football, in law enforcement, in the world where you're judged on your own merits and not on somebody else's merits, we'd be a much happier society. But unfortunately, there's a group of people that just, Lee, you're a black man. Well, guess what? I know another black man who stole my wallet, so I'm going to hate all black people. Exactly. That that was my point. And I know a bald guy. No, I try to not to know bald guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but here, but here again, guys, where is where suffering comes in as a solution to the fact that we face consequences of choices that other people have made as we suffer. So when I suffered at University of Colorado for something that somebody else made, what what was the result? It was developing a grit developing a love, and not giving up. So I tell kids when I show them my Super Bowl rings, I go, you see the Super Bowl ring right here? You see this ring right here? We beat the Broncos. It was like 39 to 20. 39 20. I was okay. there. See? <laughs> so at the end of that game, on the clock it said, it said Giants 39, Broncos 20, when the zeros came on the clock. Poor John Elway. Why do you and do that to John Elway? So Give him one. He, he, got, he got his leg. <laughs> so... I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm I'm speaking to kids right now in the school. I said, you, I said, I said, you, 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 and you know, you know what I what I thought at the end of that when the zeros came in the clock. You know how I got this? Why I got this ring? Because I'm cute. <laughs> now the kids lay laughing. I said, no, it's because I didn't give up. That's exactly right. It's because, I, and and I've come so close to giving up in my life. This close because of the things that I suffered. And and the and, and the things that the trials and all kind of things that I went through, but because I didn't give up, I got this Super Bowl ring on my finger right now. What was waiting for me, I got it because I didn't give up, and I've used the suffering to help me again to help me grow and to become a man. Here I am. I'm like, yeah, baby. I didn't cause Colorado to be on probation, but because I never gave up. Look at me. I'm going to the blue-gray game. Here I am the first day. And the, the, they got the media frenzy thing going on, and everybody's been asked two questions about their past and about their future. Hey, what's up, Billy Bob? Quarterback from Texas University. Let's look at your past. Wow, 10,000 total passing and rushing yards. Oh, man, you got it going on. And let's look at your future, Billy Bob. Oh, you may be the first ball player picked in the NFL draft. Millions of dollars for you to sign your name in the contract, signifying more to come. You really got it going on, Billy Bob. So I'm waiting for my interview, and the whole time, I was the one person that no one spoke to. The that's suffering. power. That's that's the power behind your eyes right there, the fact that nobody interviewed you that day. That gives you the drive and the motivation. Right. How many first-round draft picks you see that did nothing in their career? Come on, bro. There's a lot of them. Who had illustrious college careers. Correct. The numbers, the stats, all that. They couldn't even make an NFL team. There's a guy in Notre Dame, Joe Montana. He didn't do nothing in the, yeah. um, the <laughs> Third-round draft pick. shows you what I know. <laughs> but, Tom Brady. <laughs> so getting to Jerry Rice, yeah. right quick. I'm, I'm gonna, so here I am. If somebody would ask me, who were you at that point? I would have said, I'm just a human being with fear because in that moment, fear tried to come into my mind. Fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. See, the false evidence that appeared real to me was I had a messed up career at Colorado. Therefore, I wasn't going to have the future that I dreamed about being in the NFL. But there was an announcement, time to go on the bus, go to football practice. So now I'm entering into my identity crisis. The suffering is starting to hit me. 
it's starting to come into my mind. Not and and now and, and I don't really know how to deal with it because I've never, you know, I'm I'm at this place right here and it's really weird. I go to the back of the bus and I'm still optimistic. Maybe one of the ball players will ask me about my past or my future, even though the media didn't. But none of them did. All I heard was them talking about when they were going to be drafted. Yeah, the Cowboys are going to get me the first round. Silas, they, they worked me out 10 times. They said I'm going to be their first round draft pick. And so I'm starting to get a little upset. Now the, the, the surfing is starting to hit me a little bit too. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking, how do these guys know when they're going to get drafted? They don't even know. They don't even know who they are. And so in that moment, it hit me like a ton of bricks. For the first time in my life, I realized I didn't know who I was. See, if you'd have asked me when I was little, growing up, because of how I grew up in the civil rights movement and, and how people treat me, black and, and white, if somebody said, who are you? I said, I'm black. I try to walk black, talk black, smell black, dress black. I was black, black, you know. But but again, I didn't fully buy all into that, even though that was a part of my how I would describe my identity. Because then I began to experience that there were certain black people that wanted me to be a certain black. You know, there were certain fearful blacks. You know, yo, Lily, everybody called me Lily growing up. Man, you're not going to make it into the NFL. We know you're a great football player, but you know the white man going to keep you down type of black. So that kind of, so I was supposed to be that kind of black, fearful black. And then there was another black. There was the, the bougie black, the blacks that thought they would be the other blacks. And then there was the I want to be white black. Hi, my name is Michael. I wear Izod shirts and Levi jeans. And my favorite TV show is Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I want to be white black. So I'm thinking, which black should I be? When I was a junior, I wasn't black anymore. So now I began to have that experience. Most of the people around me, blacks, whites, everybody didn't treat me like I was black. If somebody said to me, who are you? I'd say, man, I'm Lee Roussan. Don't you know? Don't you know, man, I'm one of the top five running backs in America, man. I'm flying on an airplane to L.A. Southern Cal wants me, Colorado, Notre Dame, Pitt, everybody. So I go from being black to being this famous kid. But I began to suffer after I signed my name on the contract. Because when I signed my name on the contract February the 13th, on February the 16th, on ABC, NBC, and CBS, the headline story read, the University of Colorado has been put on probation. And that's before I even left high school, I began to suffer. But this was my opportunity to become a man. And so here I am at the front of the, uh, on the bus. For the first time, I realized I didn't know who I was. So, so in this immediate identity crisis, I realized that being black wasn't working at the back of the bus or being some famous kid, Lee Roussan, that wasn't working for where I was in my life. Because whoever you are for real works no matter what you're going through. So I go to practice and I, and I, and I come back and I sit at the front of the bus. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to give up. So what if I don't know who I am right now? I looked beside me at this guy sitting behind a bus driver, and he was just different than everybody. I looked into his face, and I sensed a real confidence and a real power, and I couldn't help myself. I said, excuse me, brother, who are you? He looks at me, and he says, I am the best wide receiver in the NFL. My name is Jerry Rice. I'm from Mississippi. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> because I ain't never heard nobody talk like that, right? Because normally people say their, they say their name. He didn't say I'm Jerry Rice. He didn't, he didn't say his brand. He didn't say his reputation. He didn't say his nationality. I'm black. I'm African-American. I'm chocolate. He didn't, he didn't say his occupation. I'm a football player. Now, all of those areas are all part of, of identity. I've spoken to you about this before. One of the terms that I hate the most is African-American. No, you're not African-American. You're an American. You, you're an American. There's no delineation. But we in this world like to put labels on people and let people tell us who we are. What Jerry Rice just did right there, he goes, you're not going to tell me who I am. I'm going to tell you who I am. And take that one and shove it up your ass. And that's that's exactly what he did. <laughs> I never heard that before, but okay. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin's got a way with words. Yes, yes, yes. That's but why you, I was able to marry up. I told you. <laughs> but you know, you know is what you're saying, though. I have to agree with you in, in this particular way. Jerry Rice... When I look at that story, it proves so much to me. First of all, I was judging. When I was at the back of the bus, I was judging other people. And when you judge someone, there's, you know, when you point a finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. What I really gained from what happened next with the conversation with Jerry Rice is that you don't let others define you. As a matter of fact, what other people think about you is none of your business. I'm thinking about writing a book called None of Your Business. (laughs) 
And, you know, and, and make that point because, again, like you said earlier, too many of us, we let other people define us. You're right. Jerry Rice defined himself. Other people want to say, well, why you, how come you're not saying that you're black? People say it to me when I go, when people ask me, who are you? I go, I'm a child of the Most High God. And then people get mad at me. They say, oh, you're not black, huh? I say, well, I never said that. I said, my nationality, not my mentality, my nationality, African, is a part of who I am. What I do, I play football. That was a long time ago. Okay, that's a part of who I am. The country I live in, America, is a part of who I am. But who I am is not all these things. It's not my nationality, my occupation, my country patriotism. Those those are part of the identity. But the power source and the foundation that I stand upon is I am a child of the Most High God. And I'm not talking about religion. If you want to know, if you're really asking me, if you want to know, if you're asking me who are you, I'm telling you. But just understand this. You're not going to get to tell me who I am because I'm telling you right now. And that's what and that's what I got from Jerry Rice. He said, I am the best wide receiver in the NFL. And we weren't in the NFL yet. The <laughs> NFL draft was was in was in April. This is like a week before Christmas. And he didn't come from big time college either. No, Mississippi you know, Valley. Mississippi Valley State. But can you imagine Jerry Rice at four years old? I'm excuse me, or, or maybe the, I say the fourth grade. Yeah. Okay, so the fourth grade, because kids are smarter in the fourth grade. Let me just be Jerry Rice in the fourth grade. I'm the best wide receiver in the NFL. And every day, I'm going to walk that walk. I'm going to talk that talk. I'm going to live it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be it. And nothing or nobody is going to stop me. You may look at me like I'm a snot-nosed fourth grader. Stop judging me by what you see on the outside. As a matter of fact, you're not seeing me anyway. You're hearing me because who I am is not the the color of my skin or my hair or the clothes I got on or or what you think about me or even what I feel about me sometimes. Who I am is a choice that I made in my heart. And when I start going through all kind of suffering and when I go through stresses and pressures and problems in my life, I'm going to turn all those things into opportunities, into good news. You know why? Because I've already decided who I am. So my decision, my identity is going to give me the direction. It's going to give me the purpose. It's going to give me the strength. It's going to give me the ability to overcome all these things that are going to happen. I am the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. Well, when you allow somebody else to label you, I see this all the time in youth sports. So when you allow somebody to label you, hey, you're really talented, you're really good. And then what's going to happen when that person is met with a challenge? And inevitably throughout life, I'm sure when you grew up, you saw people more talented than you. So why did you make it and they didn't? Because when when a, a talented person is met with a challenge and they've been told their whole life they're the greatest at what they do and you're a natural athlete and they get that challenge in front of them, there's a couple things that's going to happen. It's either they're going to quit, they're going to cheat, or they're going to rise above it. Look at Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is the best example of this. Mike Tyson was so naturally talented, he just ran through every opponent. And what happened when he met with a challenge? Teddy Atlas, his trainer, said, if you had to, t- if you had to ask me what Mike Tyson's record is, it's probably 0-5. Because every time he was met with a challenge, he didn't know what to do. What do you mean I'm not better than everybody else? So what Jerry Rice did is, I don't care. You can say whatever you want with me. I'm going to tell you what I am. Therefore, I can't, and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to believe it. Put any challenge you want in front of me, I'm going to keep going. You know, we we started off with a quote, and there's another quote that I like, and I, I think this is this is pretty appropriate. Two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why. And I think the day you find out why is the day you know exactly who you are. You're not labeled. I am me now. And that's when I think you actually start to turn your life around. My mother said something about alcohol. I didn't want to ask her anymore about why I was born. (laughs) Backseat of a car. Yeah. Mom, please stop. But there's still purpose, though. There's still purpose. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's powerful. Yeah. I I I really. I love it too. I, I totally agree with it. The why about life is so big. I'm, I have a mentoring program called the five and a half questions of purposeful identity. The, the questions are number one, what are your strengths? Number two, what are your weaknesses? Number three, what is your brand? Number four, what are you most passionate about? Number five, what do you believe? And the half question, why do you believe what you believe? You see, that why, 
that have questioned, bro, that why a lot of us don't answer in our lives and we succumb to, again, some other type of identity or some other perspective or maybe some version of the truth that doesn't serve us and doesn't serve others. Through all these stories that we've heard on this show, and I've gotten probably one of the best free educations I ever could ever have hoped for through people have come in here and speaking about their stories and telling me some hardships in their life. But you know what the funny thing is, is when they go through these hardships and they see where they are now and it's actually put on paper and they see why they went through all this stuff. They're like, oh, okay, I get it now. And then they snap to it. That That's one of the, the biggest small words. Just why? Do you know your purpose? Do you know what your purpose is? Yes. Why? Like, was your purpose to play in the NFL? No. I don't think so either. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think so. No. That was something you did for a while. Well, the NFL stands for not for national, long. That's right. <laughs> not for long. <laughs> well, three of them. Not for National Football League, not for long. And the best one for me is Newfound Life. There's opportunity in it, in the name recognition. You've been in the NFL Super Bowl, two-time Super Bowl champion. Two-time Super Bowl champion. That puts you up here a little bit, too. Now you have that name recognition, so there's your opportunity. I like that. I like that a lot. And and just on the record, I was at both of those Super Bowls. I was in Pasadena, and I was in Tampa. So you were true blue. Season ticket holder, man. I I love Giant fans, but I tell you what, I love Giant fans more than I love the Giants. Sorry. Guys, I'm yeah, an Eagles. So what are you? Oh, don't, don't even ask. Don't I'm a South Jersey. Ask. I'm a South Jersey kid. It's an, I'm an Eagles fan. Listen, you want to talk about suffering? Oh. He's an Eagles fan. <laughs> Why but, do you think I have the suffering podcast? This is it. <laughs> this is. But you guys finally got one though. And I was so happy too, man. I was. I really was happy for the Eagles. Look, fans. I, I don't hate. I just. I love the the emotion of seeing a championship. You know, whether it's the Eagles or the Cowboys, I love. If the Giants weren't in the Super Bowl. And I'm watching the Super Bowl, and just to see the teams come out on the field after they win, and all the confetti coming down and everything, I mean, that just gives me a charge, even if it is the Eagles. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually watched the Eagles parade after they won the Super Bowl. Wow. I thought I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go. <laughs> I don't go down there unless I'm getting a cheesesteak. Oh, that's because you were scared for your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's why you don't go down there, because they were like, you're a giant? Oh, you done? I went, oh, I went out. Well, I went that's, out. That's, I went out and bought an Eagles hat, and I went down to the parade. Well, that <laughs> we take our cheesesteaks in Philly very, very seriously, very, very seriously, and you cannot disrespect Geno's or Pats with the Giants. I'm sorry. Guys. All I got to I'm say, so all I got to say, is I had my first touchdown against the Eagles. <laughs> I, mean, I was going to bring that up, too. and I, I knew that. Spiked it. <laughs> well, Lawrence Taylor always said that the quarterback who he sacked the most was Ron, Ron Jaworski. Jaworski. Yep, that's true. Yeah, and poor Jaws, man. Jaws is a nice guy. Oh, he's awesome. The, he's a nice guy, and LT just beat the crap out of him. God, <laughs> so you, good. You seem you're such a humble man, and you have this. Uh, air about you where listen i'm just i'm just a man that's all i am i'm just a man and you're in the nfl and you're dealing with some major egos in the nfl how how what was it like dealing with that well i didn't really deal with it because here, here's the thing when we put the pads on there was a unity that just appeared do you think that's still that's still true today i don't know i'm not there they call about they talk about all yeah. prima donnas in the NFL now. I mean, was there was that prevalent when you were there, or like well, you, you said, it was just everybody was one. You're on the same team with arguably the best NFL player ever. It's true, ever. It's true though. It's true. It really, is true. LT. It's no doubt about it. I, I I can't see anybody else being better than him. More ferocious. His love for the game, and and when you hear about half the time he was high or drunk playing the game, and he still was the best around. Or is that his power? That, that's that's up for debate. But even somebody like him, who arguably is the best player who ever played football, the ego, was was it there or was it all the same when the pad strapped on? I was in a golf tournament with LT. And I said to him, I said, LT, I said, I love you, man. I really love you, man. Just like that. And he was like, what are you talking about, Rue? I said, listen, man, you never let the fans and the people determine who you are. Well, he's that Jerry Rice figure all over again. Well, actually, this is a little little different bent here. And he looks at me. What are you saying? So I go, but you never decided who you are. It's deep. I'm <laughs> <laughs> See, but and, he, he, never, he never let anybody 
tell him who he was. He didn't. That's he what was his own if person. If you look at yeah. it, if you really look at Lawrence Taylor, you can hear what the words that I'm speaking right yeah. now. Yeah. Okay? And it, and it is deep. Because every person, we're all responsible for making that decision. I can just only just dream and imagine if LT would have done that. Is it part of the problem there? You have all these young kids in the NFL. And think about how long it took you to figure out who you were, who Lee Rusan was. Yeah. It took me a long time to figure out who I was. And you have all these kids with this unlimited cash flow coming in. They can do whatever they want, but they don't know who they are. And see, and the thing is, it's a process, guys. I was was this one guy who the first president of Chick-fil-A, name is Jimmy Collins. In, In one of his chapters, he says, listen, decide who you are and then recreate yourself over and over and over again. So our deciding who we are is a life journey. It's just not a one-time thing. Okay, you know, we continue over and over to creatively decide who we are. We continue to become. Just imagine, even LT went through that. He said, uh, I'm not LT anymore, I'm Lawrence. I don't know if you heard that, you know. Yeah. You, we all, it's a life journey. Our identity is, should be an adventure. A life journey. You just can't def- define yourself according to what the media says. You're the best linebacker ever, or you're white, or you're black, or you're a woman, or a man, or you this or that. And this is our problems, man. We Again, we let these type of identities be our focal point and our flow and how we live. We get pigeonholed. Yes. And it's more identity. Is, it's an, it should be a, a, like going a great adventure, man. It should, it should be like an incredible life journey. I love that. See, I love throwing people curveballs. You know, when I first, when I got out of when I got out of college, the, I was I was going to be a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher anymore. What do you mean you're going to go sell cars? You're going to sell cars? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go sell cars. And then when I get, what do you mean you're going to be a cop? You're going to be a cop? How did you go from this to that? Like, don't worry about it. I just did it. And then I wrote a book. You're going to do what? And then I'm going to start a podcast. You what? I'm going to go work in construction. What? What do you? Th-? I said, listen, there's you. Give me five years, you won't be able to even recognize me anymore. That's what it is. I love the fact that you say, don't let anybody label you. Don't let anybody tell you what you are constantly growing. That's huge. That's huge. Just because you're successful doesn't mean you get to stop growing. doesn't mean you get to take a break because that's how you're going to die. But you have to decide who you are. And that's what, and that's an example we're talking about my, our, our, my teammate, my, my friend who I love, LT. But it's not just LT. The reason why I'm able to say that about LT is because I'm because of me. I, I went through the same thing. I had not decided who I am. I finally made that decision in my life. You know, when I stopped letting things and people label me, I finally made that decision. See, a, a lot of people still don't make that conscious decision. And, and they have attitudes about, you know, a lot of people become really defiant and rebellious and, and rightfully so in the moment. But if you don't carry through and make that decision for you, it becomes something else. I think I made a big mistake in bringing you in here, hoping to talk about your, in hoping to talk about your football career. Because if if you go over the show sheet, you know it's all football, football, it's football, a, football, it's a lot football, of football, football stuff. And I'm like, and as I'm sitting here talking to you, and and it just goes along with your theme that you just got to keep growing and knowing who you are. Right. When we were going to have you in, it's like, oh, we're having Lee Roos on the, the the football player. Now that you're sitting here, it's just. We have Lee Roos on here. Who used to play Thank football. You. Thank yeah. you. I made that big error. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I made it too. I made you know, I was error. like, oh, good. We have a football player coming on. I I didn't just think and say, we have Lee Roos on coming on. It's like, we have we have a football player coming on. It, one of the things that I'm realizing is you're, you're Lee Roos on who used to play football. Now you're doing, I think you're doing better work now. You're, you're getting into the motivational speaking. Yes. Um, I know you've been doing it for, cause I, for years now because I've watched a lot of your videos. Where do you focus this message? that you that you preach and a lot of these lessons i'm assuming you've learned from your football career you're able to take that suffering in your football career move it forward repurpose it put it out in the world and show how it made you stronger so why you go to kids why specifically kids well because with with young people or anybody but specifically youth it's so easy to get caught up in your past even though young people haven't even lived that long whatever they've been through in a little bit of time that they've been through it, it's real to them. And they get worried about their future. What did I learn from football about what I'm talking about right now? The 25-second clock. The 25-second clock protects you. 
You see, you only got 25 seconds to run the play. So you don't have time to get caught up in the past. Or you don't have time to worry about the future. You got 25 seconds to get in that huddle, get the play, come to the line of scrimmage, maybe maybe make an adjustment because life is, is full of full making of adjustments. adjustments. Absolutely. To have that awareness of if your surroundings and what's going on in front of you. And a lot of these things people call emotional intelligence. But football taught me that. Football taught me how to handle myself, how to relate to others, how, how to work with teams and groups and leadership. When the 25-second rule is amazing because on offense, everybody was, was unique. They had their own position. We had the opportunity because of the 25 seconds to enter into a sense of urgency. Yo, we got to... We got to, we got 25, yeah. we got to run this play. Hurry so, up, hurry so, up. so that, that sense of urgency, what, what does it do? It takes you out of the past and from the future. It protects you from the past and from the future. So, all, so the past is history. The future is a mystery, but right now, today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Past is a so history. Open future it up. is a mystery. I love that. Uh, that's, that that's cool. fantastic. So, so we get to open it. We get a chance to open up the present every day. Now, what's it feel like you're shaping these young minds? And, and as far as young minds being shaped, I think Sean Connery said this in The Untouchables where he says, if you, if you don't want to get a rotten apple, you don't get the apple off the ground, you go to the tree. What's it like when you're trying to shape these young minds and you find out that maybe you dropped the ball, there's one kid you couldn't reach, you didn't reach? And I'm talking spe- specifically, we're, we're going to have a gentleman in in a couple of weeks who I know you're aware of. His name's Gene Halberger. You did some work with the Jimmy Halberger Foundation. I always feel like Jimmy's loss is a is a dropped ball because he couldn't see that far ahead, and he kind of got caught up in that moment. What's that feel like for you as this motivational speaker? I, I appreciate that question. Um, and again, I, in addition to the covering of the twenty five second rule, my point is it covers us, it protects us. When I look at a loss. Related to um, you know, to to football. When I drop the ball, I'm not dropping it again. So first of all, I'm not gonna say, "Oh, that's just a loss right there." You know, I'm gonna do everything I can not to lose, not to lose, not to drop a ball or lose a person again. Now I can't control. I'm not God. I can't control if if someone chooses not to hear the truth or, or receive the love. It's a lot of responsibility to take on as one man. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I don't do that. You can't. But, but what I'm trying to communicate right now is that I'm going to look at, like, for example, I remember we played the Saints. We were down 21 nothing. We came back and won, and I was a starting running back because Joe Morris was hurt. He had some kind of illness. I was doing good. I had over 70-something yards. But at one point, they threw a, a scene pass to me in the end zone. The ball was right in my hands, and I dropped it. Now, now, I was known not to ever drop passes. I had pure hands. Man, I tell you, that, that upset me so much, I never dropped a, a pass the rest of that year. If someone is lost, if, if I'm involved and maybe I, I was distracted or whatever the reason that may have caused for me to lose someone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back, back and look at films. I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at myself first. Okay, and I'm gonna make sure that I'm doing everything that I can for that not to drop that ball or not for that person for someone to get lost. That's the point I'm making. Correct, and I've had multiple conversations with his, Jimmy's father, Gene, about you. He loves your hope and your willingness to take that suffering and move it forward and make sure something like this doesn't happen again. No doubt about it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So, how do we find? Lee Rusan in order to get him to come and give a speech. So, um, I mean, it, they can call you. You can be my new agent. <laughs> <laughs> I already got random people calling me. What about me? You, no. can, be, you can be it too. All right, thanks. Well, <laughs> That's all I want to know. <laughs> well, listen, let me give out Mike's cell phone number in here. <laughs> but, I mean, anybody can email me, my, my Lee Rusan at gmail.com. Okay. Lee Rosan at Gmail. Yes. I've heard Lee's speeches. Lee's speeches are fantastic. You've had all these different things happen in your life and all this different suffering. What do you think it's taught you? It's taught me how 
to depend on love. I spell love V-E-R-B, the action of it. I don't spell love, the emotion, the sentimental, lovey-dovey feeling. Love is a choice. I've learned to depend on love, no matter what I'm going through, good, bad, right, wrong, happy, sad, crazy, easy, difficult. Again, I think a lot of times we get so caught up in the game, we become distracted. We don't realize that we that we are pressing on toward the goal, right? We don't realize the purpose in, of, in the journey, so we get distracted along the way, and we miss out on so much. And one reason why we get distracted is because a lot of times we feel helpless, we feel out of control, uh, we don't know how something's going to get done. We can't control our wife or our husband or or our kids or our, you know, we we just can't do that. You know, people have their own choices. We all, we out of the seven billion people on the planet, there's nobody like us. No, you, nobody can choose for you. But to depend on love is something that that we 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 learn. I'm not going to tell whoever listening right now, you know, what love is. But I'm going to tell you, you need to find out. When you realize that love, that love is like the 25-second clock that I talked about. It protects you. It covers you. It gives you a sense of urgency. It gives us a, a sense of unity among one another. We learn how to live together. The one thing that I consistently did through the suffering in my life was every time I greeted people, I don't care what nationality they were, how old they were, what they had, what they didn't have, I can say this, and you can go back and ask anybody that's ever been in my life. I'm 58 years old, anybody. I've treated everybody with that priceless value of the image of love. I've had it in my heart ever since I was little, and it always came out. And I think that's the one reason why I've made it. I remember this dark, vanilla, white boy came from New York when I was in seventh grade. He had his tan. He came down to North Carolina, okay? And he looked. He had jet black hair, and he was just weird. He, he sounded weird, all that, and all the boys hated him. All the white boys, all the black boys hated him. His name was Felice, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about my brother like that, all right? <laughs> well, his name was Lee Russell, so I'm Lee Russon, so we sat beside each other in the homeroom. We never talked about our parents. He, I never went over to his house, and he lived in a mansion. He never came over to my house, but we were friends. And I treated him like he was special when everybody else treated him like he was some kind of foreign Yankee or whatever like that. I didn't know that he told his dad about me. Yo, Dad, I got a friend. Oh, as the years went by, name, his name is Lee, too. He's a really good football player. He didn't tell me his dad was the agent for the head coach of the New England Patriots. <laughs> That's crazy. Who, my senior year at the University of I mean, at, at, in, in high school, my senior year in high school, actually, right before that, he left. He quit the Patriots in the middle of the playoffs. Do you guys remember when that dude from Passaic, Jack Tatum? Jack Tatum. Remember when he hit Daryl Stingley? Daryl Stingley. Yeah. Paralyzed him. So Fairbanks was like, yo, I'm done with this because all the media want to do is just talk about this. I want to play football. I want to I coach football. And this is not, this is a circus. I, this, is, this is not football. So he says, I'm done. So he quits the Patriots in the middle of the playoffs. And he becomes the head coach at the University of Colorado, Chuck Fairbanks. And so the owner for the Patriots, Victor Kayyem, he was the owner to Remington Shavers. Yeah, Remington. He says, I'm going to get him back. You don't leave my you don't leave my team in the middle of playoffs. So I'm gonna get you back. So he's the one that started that investigation where he got the ball uh, put. Yeah, that's what that's where it came from right there. Now so, it makes sense. Right. See? Because I treated that brother with the priceless value of love. Never wanting anything in return, but look what you got. Well that's what I said, like going back to before. I treat people the way they treat me. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have, how much money you don't have. You treat me with respect, I'll treat you with respect. Well, I'm different here is I'm a gracious. You ever heard of a gracious? No. <laughs> no, I've never heard of a gracious. I can imagine what it, what it means, but I've heard of racists. 
Yeah. Like now you flip that around. I'm, like I'm flipping it right now. Yeah. I'm a gracist. So I'm going a, I'm to a love you even, though you even though you don't deserve it. Because why? Because you're not going to define me. I'm going to still love you even though you're not loving me and respecting me. I'm going to love you anyway. That proves that I am who I am. Exactly. Yep. Lee, I think you're a fantastic individual and you get my excitement going. Every time you talk, I, I sort of, I want to get up and maybe go run some sprints. I don't know. <laughs> so I do want to think about all the stuff that we learned today. What I like to is change your reactions to the suffering. Do your job. Just shut up and do yes, your job. I totally agree. Love is a verb. And I'm going to start using it more like a verb. Yes. The past is history. The future is mystery. But today is a gift, and that's why it's called the present. So open it up. Absolutely. Open up every day. Open up the present. Learn to embrace the suffering. Yes. And whenever possible, sit next to Jerry Rice on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. This will bring us to the end of this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of a Pro Athlete. Look for us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Lee, thank you so much for coming in today. Mike, another you, great you, one. You just did it again. You, you labeled him as a pro athlete. This is the suffering of Lee Rusan. This is the <laughs> suffering of Lee Rusan. <laughs> Lee Rusan now has a has a new title, a new label. Lee's my friend. Suffering of our friend. Thank you all for listening. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast. We'll catch you up with you next time. Awesome. It's a pleasure,